Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, welcome again to Kishwaukee Bible Church. My name is Jesse, and I'm the pastor here. And if you're just joining us, we've been for the past few months walking through a section of Matthew's gospel known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And doing that in a series we've been calling Upside Down Kingdom, because it's in that Sermon on the Mount that Jesus lays out for his followers just how different it is to live as citizens of his kingdom than to live merely as citizens of this world. And by far, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most famous sermon in Matthew. But it's not the only one. In fact, it's one of five sermons Jesus preached, one of five extended teachings, which is one way Matthew depicts Jesus as a new and better Moses. The five sermons Jesus preached, placed alongside, and in some sense meant to take the place of those five books written by Moses. And we didn't want to cut short our study of Matthew's gospel or of this new and better Moses without at least considering for a moment what Jesus had to say in those four other sermons. So for the next four weeks, we're going to do just that as we consider each of them in turn before then closing out our study of this gospel with one final look at Jesus' final words that bring Matthew to a close. And because we've already looked at the first of those five sermons and Jesus' upside-down kingdom, we'll begin today by considering the second as we turn our attention to Jesus' upside-down mission. And specifically, why joining Jesus on that mission, we need not fear. And to do it, we'll be looking primarily at what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 10, which if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to where we'll pick up in verse 16. But before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we continue to ask for your grace and guidance during these uncertain times and that you'd continue to glorify yourself in and through us. Not least as we join you on mission to proclaim to this world the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that we would do so without fear because it is ultimately you and your son and your spirit that do the work through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but in our house, YouTube has gotten a lot more airtime during this lockdown, so much so that we've started to take YouTube up on some of its suggestions as to what we ought to watch. And one of those suggestions was for a clip of a Russian couple who adopted a cougar as a house pet, Alexander and Maria Dmitriev and their 90-pound puma in their 900-square-foot apartment which shows them feeding him 15 pounds of meat twice daily, playing fetch with him in their matchbox-sized living room, and, and shoving him aside as he sleeps next to them in bed. But by far the most entertaining clip is when this couple drops into the bathtub a fish for this cat to catch. Problem is, living in their apartment, that cat can't catch that fish because he's paralyzed by fear. 
And you could watch it, this 12-minute clip of this physically commanding cougar, not even knowing what to do with it. Whether that's because he's never seen a fish before, or he doesn't like the water, or he just doesn't appreciate how this other living organism has invaded his space. Either way, though, this cougar just sits there, peering over the edge of this bathtub, paralyzed by fear. So you don't know if, if you ought to chuckle at it or feel sorry for him. You know, that's what we sort of look like when it comes to being on mission with Jesus. When it comes to being fishers of men. That's what Jesus called it back in Matthew 4. Yet like a 90-pound puma, we can't catch fish in our own bathtub. Why? Well, at least in part. Because often, we're paralyzed by fear. Even though there's a ton of reasons we don't have to be. Just like that puma, who's got all the power, all the precedent, and all the promise to eat that fish for lunch. Well, similarly, and even more so, we've got all the power, all the precedent, and all the promise to be fishers of men. And that's what we're going to look at today these three reasons Jesus lays out as to why you and I need not fear when joining him on mission. Because we've got the power, the precedent, and the promise. And that's really the heart of Jesus' second sermon found in Matthew chapter 10. After Jesus, establishing his authority in word and in deed, hands that authority over to his followers commanding them to pray for and then go as laborers out into the harvest and to proclaim as they go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The going, though, isn't always going to be easy. And Jesus recognizes that, knows it full well himself. When he says in, in verse 16, for instance, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, he says, and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Beware, because joining Jesus on mission isn't always going to be easy. And yet, do not fear. Why? Well, to begin, because you've got the power and have been empowered by God's own spirit. That's what Jesus says, beginning in verse 19, that when they deliver you over, do not be anxious when you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. How? For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. There's no need to fear, first, because we've got the power. Power to, to fight persecution? No. The power to proclaim over persecution and over our persecutors the good news of the king and of the coming of his kingdom. The power to take the witness stand, as it were, and to put, when put on trial by this world, and to bear witness about Jesus, even when it's us they put on trial. Because as a follower of Jesus, you don't ever need to plead the fifth. 
Rather, every time we're dragged before others, we can take it as a just one more opportunity to do what we signed up for, to bear witness on his behalf, and to go fishing for men. Just like the apostles did before us, Jesus' first followers, proclaiming to the world the good news of the king and his kingdom, so much so that many of them were thrown in the clink for it or, or were delivered to the courts and dragged before synagogues. But did that stop them? No. If anything, it just gave them one more platform on which to proclaim it. Like Peter and John, who were thrown in prison for proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Do you remember the story? It's in Acts 4. What do they say the next morning, though, when they're being tried? What are you going to say for yourselves? Breaking our laws and stirring up trouble. Well, Peter, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up and said to them, Do you know this, Jesus? He was raised from the dead. Hey, it's for that stuff that we, we put you in here in the first place. Yeah, we know. Or think of Paul, who almost made a career of hopping from one court system to another, just so he could tell more people about Jesus. Apostle Paul, who would appeal his case to a higher court even before his, he was found guilty in the first. Just imagine being his attorney. What are you doing? Keep your mouth closed. No, I got them right where I want them. You see, the way I figure it, they're going to foot the bill for me to get to Rome and then give me a chance to tell that pretender king about the true King Jesus. Every trial, an opportunity to bear witness. And Jesus says, the power to do so dwells inside us and speaks through us, even and especially in the most tense situations we can think of, so that we don't have to fear. The very Spirit of God who hovered over the waters of creation and breathed life into our world at the spoken word of the Creator. The Spirit who inspired God's written word, the Scriptures, now speaking through us so we can spout out whatever prophetic word we want? No so that we can proclaim and present once more the crucified King and the coming of his kingdom. That Jesus reigns in my life like he could in yours and like he one day will reign on earth as he does in heaven. And notice back in verse 19, it includes both the how and the what. Jesus says, don't worry, don't be anxious. How you are to speak or what you are to say. Why? Because both the method and the message will be given to us by the same Spirit who speaks through us. That'll all be a great comfort for those of us who think we can't speak or never think we know what to say. Both the how and the what. So that we need not fear. We've got the power. But second, we need not fear joining Jesus on mission because we've got the precedent, specifically in Jesus. The power in the Spirit, the precedent in Jesus, in the Son, who set for us an example and expectation when it comes to such things. Like our big brother who went off to war on our behalf and returned to tell the tale and to even invite us in our little kid way to join the fight. 
He's already shown us what to expect, even laying down his life for us in the process. Jesus, who himself was the, the first to be dragged before Jew and Gentile alike, was beaten and bruised for the testimony he gave and the witness he bore about his kingdom and ultimately lost his life for it, crucified as the king of the Jews. But who also came out the other side, right? Scarred, yes, but in many ways unscathed. And the scars themselves were redemptive. Jesus, who, who came out the other side and promised that, that he's coming back for his own. Which means that when you and I face similar situations today, which, which for many of us can't even compare to what he went through. Yet when you and I face similar situations today, not only should we not be surprised, but we need not fear. Which is what Jesus is saying when in verse 21 he says, Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. It's not always going to be easy. And he says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endures, meaning those who, who don't give up the fight midway through who don't throw in the towel just because they think what they're going through no one has ever gone through before. But rather, like Jesus, bear witness even with their dying breath. Even if on, a, on account of that witness, they're put to death. These are the ones, Jesus says, who will be saved and for whom he'll come back. So verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, he says, flee, move on to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The point, though, is that the precedent has been set. And here it is, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, that is, if they've called Jesus Satan, the prince of demons, how much more will they malign those of his household? It is not without precedent. After all, this is what the world has been doing to God's messengers ever since they were first sent. Why? Because the world doesn't like the message. So they killed the prophets before Jesus and have continued to kill his followers ever since. Yet in Jesus, we have a precedent, not only of one who bore the greatest witness, made the greatest sacrifice, but then won the greatest victory, did so on our behalf, and has promised to return and do so once and for all. So we need not fear. Because we've got the power in the Spirit and the precedent in the Son. And third, because we have the promise in the Father. Isn't that neat? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all working together for the good of those who love Him. What's this promise, though? 
is that even when things are hardest down here, our Father up there holds us in His hand, holds us, and will not let us go. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 26. He says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, revere him, regard him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, Jesus says? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. A pair of sparrows were, were just about the cheapest meal you could buy back in Jesus' day. This penny was the smallest coin they had. And with it, you could buy two of them. But Jesus says not a one of those sparrows falls to the ground apart from the care of your heavenly Father. And yet Jesus says that care with which God has numbered the sparrows of the air has driven him even more to number the individual hairs on your head. And for some of us, the hair is missing from our head. Numbering them so that as much as a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without God knowing it and caring for it and reigning over it, Neither does one hair from your head or the head of one of his own. Why? Because the hairs on the head of those who take up the message of God's king and of his kingdom are numbered. Because that's how much God cares. So Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. So do not fear. Notice though, the promise is for those who join Jesus on mission. Not necessarily as a Billy Graham, but as those who, what does it say? Acknowledge Jesus before men. Acknowledge in the sense that they publicly put their stake in the ground alongside him. Whether before family members who'd rather us just not mention Jesus, friends who, who like us but, but, but just don't want to, to, to hear any more about how religious we are, or before co-workers and colleagues, and if it ever comes to it, the courts. These are the ones Jesus says he'll acknowledge before his heavenly Father. Because this is what following Jesus is all about. Taking up the name of Jesus and the task of Jesus in telling this whole world about Jesus and our dependence on Jesus and our allegiance to Jesus. But whoever denies me before men, Jesus says, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Which means this is the dividing line of history. This is the dividing line of humanity. Joining Jesus on mission. 
Just as Jesus goes on to say that, that he came not to bring peace, but a sword to divide father and son, mother and daughter, in-laws from the proverbial outlaws. Because he says, whoever loves father and mother, son or daughter, more than him is not worthy of him. And whoever does not take up their cross and follow after him, presumably in bearing witness to him, staking their claim with him, is not worthy of him. Because what? Whoever finds their life will lose it and has everything to fear. While whoever loses their life for his sake will find it and need not fear at all. First, because of the power we have in the Spirit speaking through us. Second, because of the precedent we have in the Son, who is our hope beyond even the grave. And third, because of the promise we have in the Father, that he'll keep us all the way. So let me just ask you, is this the cross you've taken up? We use that imagery all the time for such silly things. Skipping dessert, just bearing my cross. Gotta go mow the lawn, just bearing my cross. Watching another rerun of Fixer Upper with the wife, just bearing my cross. Yet this is the cross Jesus called us to. The cross of acknowledging him before men, before women, and of publicly staking our claim alongside him, no matter the cost. Of risking acceptance by others to be accepted by him and accepted by his Father who is in heaven. Is this the cross? you've taken up, even if it were to cost you your life, like it has cost so many believers before and is costing so many believers today and may just cost you tomorrow. It's one of the looming concerns I've been most keenly aware of these past few weeks as the countries that have risen to prominence in the news, China, Iran, North Korea are precisely those world powers that have armed themselves behind closed doors for this world's destruction and have already begun to unleash those powers behind their own borders, most particularly against followers of Jesus. What if the world stage shifts in the years ahead? What if when we come out of this pandemic, it doesn't look the same? What if our own country continues to shift? Will you still take up the cross if it does cost you your life? Because the imagery is not a mistake. Jesus full well knew where he was headed and knew that crosses you carried in the ancient world were ultimately crosses you were crucified on. And Jesus knew full well the weight of what he was saying. And yet he said it because he knew also that he would bear that cross first and bear that cross best, staking his claim with us so that we who would bear it after him, empowered by the Spirit, in the precedent of the Son, under the promise of the Father, that we might likewise one day walk out of the grave 
Because like Jesus said, the promise of finding life is precisely for those who first lose their lives for him. So that joining Jesus on mission, we need not fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray it would be so that we'd walk in the confidence of our Savior, bearing that cross behind him, staking our claim with him, whatever the cost, whether it costs us the numbered hairs on our head over a long life of devotion to him, or God forbid, cost us our lives all at once. I pray that no matter what, we would never cease to acknowledge him as our king. As we look forward to the day, he will once more and for all acknowledge us before you. And it's in his name we dare to pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.